We've been in a sermon series the last three weeks on what's the big deal about Easter. So I want to give you an update because I'm not a very good series kind of preacher because I just sometimes veer off the, the side road and start preaching on something else. But I'm very proud of myself because I'm going to finish the series. So I'm going to stick with it. This is what I want to say. Today I'm going to preach on the resurrection, all right? Because obviously Easter's all about the resurrection. Can I hear an amen? My objective was to do this. To, the first sermon series was to preach on the blood. The second was the cross. Today I was going to preach on the resurrection. Next week I was going to preach on uh, uh, post-resurrection, which was the two men from Emmaus when they, when they were leaving the scene of the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and Jesus appeared to them. So that's an Easter story. So I was, I was hoping that I would, in these four weeks, give you a story. The blood, the cross, the resurrection, and then at the end of the Easter story. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to stick with it today because I feel like I need to preach on the resurrection. Now on Easter, I'm going to preach on the resurrection, but just from a different angle, all right? Today I'm going to preach on the importance of the resurrection. Now next week, I've changed it. And I'm going to do the blood of Jesus part two because I found... And in my study, I found some significant things that I didn't have time to bring out in the, the blood sermon a few weeks ago. So how many would be okay with Pastor Josh if next week, to end the sermon series, I go back to the blood? Is that all right? So how many will make sure that you will be here next Sunday morning to hear part two of the power of the blood? All right? So you don't want to miss next week. So I want to stress Make sure that you're here next week. We started with the blood, and we're going to end with the blood, all right? So make sure you're here next week as we endeavor to look into uh, the significance of the blood of Jesus and how that can um, uh, actually change your life, all right? This is a familiar story that we've all heard before. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered to the women and said, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Verse number six, he is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. What's the big deal about Easter? Well, you can't have Easter unless you understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. Would you say amen to that? You can't really understand the impact of Easter unless you understand the significance of the resurrection Many significant days have occurred in the history of humanity. I want you to think about the American history in general, and you'll soon discover that one day can make a difference. For example, on July the 4th, 1776, the course of American history was changed when 13 colonies declared their independence from the British rule. On December the 7th, 1941, 
the Japanese planes bombed Pearl Harbor, making a decisive day in international affairs. One day can change the course of history. On July the 20th, 1963, for the very first time in history, for the very first time in history, a man walked on the moon by the name of Neil Armstrong. On September the 11th, 2001, several commercial airplanes were hijacked by terrorists, resulting in the death of over 3,000 people in the United States of America. One day can have a significant impact upon humanity. One day can change the course of history. One moment can change the destiny of the lives of thousands of people. But I want to remind you that there is another significant day in the course of history that has changed humanity as well. It's a day like no other day. It's, it's not a day like July 4th, 1776. It's, it's more important than that. That's important, but this is more important. It, it, it's, it's even more significant than than the other dates that I've listed. It has a greater impact upon humanity. It's a day like no other day in the course of history. It was a day that gave hope to a dying, depraved humanity. It was a day in history that changed the crucifixion from bad news to good news. It was a day long before September the 11th, 2001. It was long before July the 20th, it was long before December the 7th, 1941. It was long before those days. As a matter of fact, if you read this black book, you read the Bible, you'll soon discover that this day has changed the course of human history. As a matter of fact, it's a day 2,000 years ago. What are you talking about, Pastor Josh? I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm talking about a Jewish man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by the Romans. He was put in a borrowed tomb of the Joseph of Arimathea. They wrapped his body in linen cloth. But on the third day, the scripture tells us that an angel came and rolled back the stone and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a day that changed the course of human history. And that is why we celebrate Easter. That is why Easter is so very, very important. We commemorate and celebrate the day that occurred over 2,000 years ago. It's Easter. It's not about, and you know this, it's not about Easter bunnies and chocolates and new clothes. It's about a Jewish man. It's, a, it's about a man who resurrected and conquered death and gave us the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It is Easter. Easter. I want you to think about it. A time where we celebrate that Jesus Christ himself defeated the grave, conquered death, broke the power of sin, bruised the head of the serpent, delivered us from the evil one, and crushed the head of shame and guilt. It's Easter. It's Easter. It's a time for us to celebrate. It's a time for us to commemorate what it really, really means. It's a time for us to lift up our heads 
and know that it is about freedom from our sin and shame. There's an old Christian song that we used to sing years ago. Maybe you will, maybe this will bring something back to your memory. You remember this old Easter song we used to sing? Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King. The hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find, none other is so loving, so good, and so kind. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Oh, hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that agrees with Pastor Josh that he lives, he lives salvation to impart? Oh, it's, 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 it's Easter. The birds are singing again. The sun is shining again. Shame and guilt and death. That was on Good Friday, but we are celebrating Easter. It's a, it's a time of forgiveness. It's a, it's a time of mercy. It's a time of healing. It's a, it's a time of salvation and deliverance. You see, I, I still believe, even in this 21st century, it's hard to find somebody that really, really believes the Bible. It's, I mean, I know you believe the Bible, but in our world, it's, it's hard to find absolute truth. It's, it's more relative. And, and we, don't, we don't want to be confined to something that's absolute, but we, we really do believe that the tomb is empty. Let me say it again. We really do believe the tomb is empty. This is just not a story that we just read about. It's just not a fictional story. It is really a story that really, really did happen. There really is a tomb that is empty. And I still believe there is a prayer that will save you. I still believe there's a stripe that will heal you. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. I said, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus said to Martha, Oh, Martha, don't you weep. And Mary, don't you moan. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said to those women, He said, I am he that liveth, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The Apostle Paul went on further to say it like this. He said, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, why is Easter a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because the man who died to give us an experience lives to continue the experience. Did you hear what this preacher said? I said the man who died to give us an experience is the man that lives to continue the experience. You see, lots have changed from 2,000 years ago. The day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it brings us life. It brings us victory. But 2,000 years ago, it wasn't necessarily the case. People went on with their jobs. People went on with school. They went to the synagogues. They prayed their prayers and gave their taxes and sung their songs and lived their life. And yet it really didn't mean anything to them. 
They didn't know that the greatest day in history had occurred. And yet there are millions today. They don't know it's Easter. They go along, they go along with their business not knowing the true story of Easter or the significance that it can have in your life. People are so busy. People run here. People run there. And yet, they don't realize the significance of what Easter is. Easter to many people is just another day. To many people, Easter is a paid holiday. To many people, Easter is a time to sleep in. To many people, Easter is about colored eggs and Easter baskets and Easter lilies and new clothes and bunny rabbits. But for us, Easter is much more than that. If you are a born-again Christian, Easter means everything to you. It means that the stone is rolled away. It means that death and the grave has lost its power over you. It means that there is a living Savior to save you. It means that there is a living Savior in the time of sorrow. It means that there is a living Savior to answer your prayers. It means that there is a living Savior to take you to heaven when you die. Ladies and gentlemen, Easter is more than just a paid holiday. Just ponder about it. Just think about it. If all this hoop and hollering and pomp and circumstance of Easter never really happened, then I want to make sure you understand that if it never happened, then according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, he said very clearly that if the resurrection of Jesus never occurred, our preaching is in vain. You see, everything hinges upon the resurrection. I know that you've heard it since you've been in Sunday school, but it's still true. That without the resurrection, Christianity would not exist. We have no hope of salvation. As a matter of fact, if the resurrection never occurred, our preaching is in vain. What I do every week is simply foolish. You come in every week is simply foolish. Those who have been martyred for years, for 2,000 years, have done it in vain. All the money that you've given to the church, it's in vain. Martyrdom has been in vain. Persecution has been in vain. Your faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. Everything that you've done for the church is in vain. The money that you've given, it's all in vain. We've suffered persecution for absolutely no reason. The promise of a place of no more sorrow, a place of no more pain and sickness is simply a cruel lie that preachers have propagated for 2,000 years. Jesus is a liar. He is a lunatic. We're all crazy. If the resurrection never occurred, martyrs have been burned at the stake and pulled apart by wild animals eaten alive by lions, boiled in oil, burned at the stake for absolutely no reason at all if the resurrection of Jesus never occurred. The disciples were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were tortured, and they died cruel deaths if the resurrection never occurred. Your loved ones, who you weep at their tomb, and the preacher comforts you, by saying one day that you will be with them, it's a lie. All we have done for years is manipulated your heart. All preachers have done 
is told a book of lies to you to try to make you feel better. If the resurrection never occurred, the greatest delusion and deception the world has ever known has been propagated on seven continents around the world, and it's all been a lie. If the resurrection never occurred, you see, the Bible says that after he was resurrected, the first message of the apostles was they preached the name of Jesus in his resurrecting power. That was their message. That was the banner that they held, was that Jesus is more than a man. He was resurrected on the third day. You see, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 2, they taught the people and preached Jesus from the dead. The Bible says in Acts 4.33, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus with great power upon them. You see, what are you saying? I'm saying that was the message of the church. The message of the church was preach the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, it would be a lie. Without the resurrection, it would be a lie. But you see, we stand in his presence today because we know that it is not a lie, that it is true. We stand in the presence today as I look across the crowd. There are many of you that can raise your hand and say, Pastor, I can testify and I can give witness to the resurrection because I was lost in my sin and, and he saved me and pulled me out of the miry clay and I can stand this morning and give witness to the power of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we would be lost forever. It would be a lie with the resurrection. If the resurrection did occur, and we know that it occurred, then I want to tell this church loud and clear that our preaching is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. Our persecution is not in vain. Your money is not a waste. Come on, somebody. Those who have suffered for 2,000 years, they didn't do it in vain. There is a place of no more sorrow. There is a place of no more pain. There is a place of no more sickness. It is not a lie. It is true. And there is hope beyond the scope of even human limitations. You see, they took his body down from the cross. And the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea took his body down from the cross, but another synoptic gospel said it was Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who was the follower of Jesus by night, came with Joseph of Arimathea and they took his body down from the cross and the Bible says they put it in his tomb. Matthew 27, 57. Matthew 27, 57. They put his body in a rich man's tomb. Now let's stop here. They put his body in a rich man's tomb according to Matthew 27 and 57. You see... It was a costly tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. And when they took his body down and wrapped it in a cloth, they put it in a rich man's tomb. Now, rich man's tomb in Israel is a tomb that's quite different than what you would know today. When you walk into a rich man's tomb, usually in Jewish custom, 
A rich man's tomb would usually have four to six spots in the grave, in the, in the, in the tomb. Obviously, when the rich man died, they would put his spouse there, and they would also put his children there if they wished. So you could put your family in a one-tomb place. Instead of putting them in separate, you could put them in one place. So this was a quite large tomb. They put his body in the tomb with other sections in the tomb that was empty. They put his body in there, wrapped it in a linen cloth. According to Jewish history, every dead person, especially a Jewish male, should be wrapped in some sort of cloth to preserve the body. And so usually, before the body was put in the tomb, it would, be, it would have spices over it to preserve the body. And you know that the women did not have time to put spices over his body. So they quickly took his body down from the cross and just put linen cloth and stuffed him in the tomb real quick because it was Passover. And they had to do it quickly. That is why the women on the third day is thinking to themselves, we forgot to anoint his body. And we need to anoint his body. Passover is over and we need to go anoint his body. These women were not thinking that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. And so when his body was put in the tomb without any spices, just linen cloth, he was put in a rich man's tomb. Why was he put in a rich man's tomb? You know and I know that he wasn't going to stay there. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never lived in a palace? He never had fine clothes. He had to borrow a boat to preach the gospel. He had nowhere to lay his head at night. He had no degrees, never wrote a book, never preached in a cathedral, never wrote a song. And yet, he had to borrow a tomb to be laid to rest. And in his death, he was put in a rich man's tomb. You know what God was saying? God was saying, you have mocked him, and you have spit on him, and you have beat him. And now in his death, I'm going to honor him with a rich man's tomb. I'm going to honor him in his death. You see, Joseph used his power. What are you, what are you saying, Pastor? Joseph used his power, his influence, and his wealth to provide a place for the dead body of Jesus. And how much more should we provide a place for the risen Savior in our lives if Joseph of Arimathea used his influence to provide a place for Jesus' body? The point of the story is one man used his resources to provide a place for Jesus. And some of us are so blessed, all of us are so blessed We've been blessed with so much more than we could ever imagine. And let me ask you a question. Are you providing a place for Jesus in your life? Just like Joseph used his power and influence and resources to make room for him, are you making room for him? Are you providing a place for him? Not for his dead body, but for his living presence. Are you making room for Jesus? Are you making room for him? You see, why was it borrowed? Because he wasn't going to stay there. It was a costly tomb, but it was also a borrowed tomb. Why was it a borrowed tomb? Because he wasn't going to stay there. It was going to be empty. It was temporary. You see, that tells me this. 
that he didn't focus his attention upon something that was borrowed. And everything in your life is borrowed. Everything in your life you're just a steward of. You're just there temporary. Jesus used the grave temporarily, and you, my brothers and sisters, only have a short amount of time to use the things that God has given you temporarily. And what you do with it is up to you. You start to look at your life as borrowed, and you start to look at things around you as borrowed, then you're not going to put your fixation upon things that are borrowed. Everything in your life is borrowed. Everything in your life is a gift. Everything in your life is given to you temporarily. It's borrowed. It really isn't yours in the beginning and just like Jesus understood that that grave was borrowed and I'm only there temporarily, you too, my brothers and sisters, must have that same mindset that I am only here temporarily. The things that God has given me is only borrowed. It was a costly tomb. It was a borrowed tomb, but it was also an empty tomb. You see, the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 7, John chapter 20, verse 7, it was empty. But you see, in Jewish custom, when they wrapped the body in linen cloth, they would wrap it real tight with linen cloth after the spices had been applied. But as you know, they didn't have time to put spices on his body. They just wrapped it real tight with the linen cloth. When they would wrap it with the linen cloth, they would wrap it tight. One of the things that they would do is that they would leave the face open. They'd wrap the body tight, leave the face open. Now, according to custom, the reason that they would leave the face exposed is because there was occasions when people died or appeared to have been dead, but really wasn't dead. So they left the face open so the person could breathe. If, by mistaken, they had pronounced someone dead and put them in a grave, and they really wasn't dead. So... In order to prevent that, they wrapped the body tightly with linen cloth and exposed the face, just in case. He appeared to be dead, but really wasn't dead. According to Jewish custom, they believe that the person would be if the person is dead, the spirit of the person would hover over the body, just in case that person was alive. Now, that's interesting to me, because when you go to John chapter 20 and verse number 7, they, they, they begin to put a handkerchief over his face. His body is covered. He has linen cloth on. And so when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put his body in the grave, they, they wrapped it tight with linen cloth and they put a napkin over his face. They didn't, they didn't suffocate the body. They just laid it on top of his face. Now, the Bible says that when he was resurrected from the grave, that that napkin was still there. That napkin was still there. You know, there's been many different sermons on people trying to understand theologically of why the napkin was still there or why the linen cloth was still there. But I firmly believe that there may not be a deep, significant, theological revelation of the napkin but I want you to understand something. That when Jesus was raised from the dead, it took the power of God to break off the linen cloth because he was, he was tightly, tightly 
laid in the body and tightly squeezed together with a linen cloth. It took the power of God to break forth the linen cloth and he took the napkin and laid it down with the cloth. You know what he was saying? That the power of God has the ability to break everything off of your life that needs to be broken and laid down the cloth to let the world know that I am alive forevermore. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about just coming out of the tomb. Some of us is coming out of death. We're coming out of shame. We're coming out of guilt. We're coming out of the tomb, but we're still bound up. But I want to let you know that before He calls you out of the tomb, He releases the bandages off of your life so you can walk out of the grave with power and liberty. Hallelujah! He just don't free you out of the grave. He breaks the bandages off of you so you can walk with confidence out of the grave. Hallelujah. Some of us has been called out of the grave. Some of us, He's released from the grave of sin and shame and guilt, but we're still bound up. We're walking every day with the bandages around us. Oh, the Easter story teaches us That before he was released out of the grave, he, the bandages, was broken. Because when God frees you and he releases you out of the grave, he releases you out of the grave with the ability to walk. How are you supposed to walk before the Lord with bandages? When he delivers you from the grave, He's delivering you from the grave so you can have the ability to walk for Him. Breaks the bandages off. He's free. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? I'm saying the Easter story is much more than just a man coming out of the grave. It teaches us that things are borrowed in our life. You shouldn't put all your time and investment in things that's borrowed. It teaches us that you should use your resources to provide a place for Jesus. And it teaches us that when God really frees you, He frees you from the bondages so you can walk for Him. You hearing me? Frees you from it. He delivers you from it. And how many Christians go to church week after week after week and yet... They're out of their sin and shame, but yet they're still in bondage to something. And how many Christians have resources for Jesus and they never use it to provide a place for His presence? Let me tell you something. What is Easter about? Easter is about getting your perception right that just like Joseph of Arimathea, I'm going to use my influence and resources to provide a place for His presence. I'm going to keep my perception right that I shouldn't fixate on things that's borrowed. And that when God frees me, He frees me totally. He don't do a 60-40 job. He frees me totally and releases me from the bondages, those bandages on my life. Hallelujah. That's what it's about. 
What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying this, that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the church. The resurrection of Jesus is the inscription on the banner of her armies. The resurrection is the strength and the comfort of every Christian. The resurrection is the hope of humanity. And the cry of the Savior today is this, Oh Mary, don't you weep. Oh Martha, don't you moan. For I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That's what it's about. And because he lives, you can live. Don't you live another day in the bondage of the enemy. Don't you live another day with your head down. Take the napkin off of your face and use your eyes to see the glory of God. Take the bondages off and walk in freedom today. Hallelujah. He's calling you by name. Get out of that grave and walk. Get out of that grave and lift your head high. Get out of that grave and look to the hills for which cometh your help. For your help cometh from the name of the Lord. I am saying that without the resurrection there is no hope. I'm telling you the armies of the world can't understand Jesus. Hallelujah. The world can't understand him. The schools have tried to explain him. The leaders have tried to ignore him. Herod tried to kill him. The Pharisees tried to confuse him. Nero tried to crush him. Hitler tried to silence him. And the grave tried to hold him down. But I'm telling you, he lives. He lives forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They preach Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. My God, I've been to churches on Easter and the pastor never mentioned one thing about Easter. I was so disgusted I want to get up and walk out. It shows the illiteracy of the church that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no church. There are no preachers. We're a bunch of liars if it never happened. But if it did happen, then, uh, then the assurance of our salvation is not a delusion. If the resurrection did happen, the joy of being justified in God's eyes is not a delusion. Our peace of mind and soul is not a delusion. The hope of the world to come is not a delusion. Our total life transformation that you felt at the altar is not a delusion. Your healing is not a delusion. The feelings of the Holy Spirit is not a delusion. It's really real. If it really happened, is there anybody in the building that can help the pastor preach today and stand to your feet and say, I believe that Jesus is alive and well today. He's alive and well today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Without it, there is no hope. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody lift your voice up and give God a praise for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Woo. I'm telling you, he lives, he lives, he lives. Rejoice, O oh Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs for Jesus Christ our King, the hope of all who find him. No other is so loving and kind. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Hallelujah. Well, aren't you glad that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you up? And if it raised you from the dead, it can raise you up out of that bed on Sunday morning too. Y'all, you ain't hearing me preach. I said, if the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it can get you up on Sunday morning, it can make you live right. Come on, somebody. People say, boy, I got the power, I got the power. You know what? I don't care how many times you fall on this floor. I want to know how much, how, how straight you're going to walk when you get up off of the floor. 
I'm tired of people falling on the floor. Now, I, if you fall on the floor this morning, I'll fall with you. I am not against falling on the floor and shouting and praising God. I'm not against it. I'm talking to the church up the street. But I am saying this. That if you fall on the floor, you better make sure you walk straight when you get up. If you're speaking in tongues, that same tongue should not be cussing somebody else out. I, I, you know what? I, I just want people to live right. I just want people to have a good attitude. I just want people to follow the Bible. Am I right about it? Hallelujah. So what are you saying? I'm saying you don't have to live in sin. You don't have to follow in sin and shame. You don't have to follow the tactics of the enemy. You don't have to believe the enemy. Easter teaches us that we have victory and we're able to live in victory. You see, listen, listen, listen. Listen, we shouldn't pray for victory. That's the problem. We're praying for something that's already occurred. Give me that microphone. I'm saying that you're not supposed to pray for victory. Oh God, give me victory. Give me victory. Easter teaches us that victory already occurred 2,000 years ago. And if victory already occurred, you don't pray for victory. You're running from victory. Did you hear me? You're running from victory. You're not praying for victory. It's kind of like us praying, Lord, I just want a move of God. Please come Jesus. Please baptize us in fire. If you are theologically correct with the Bible, not what you've been taught all your life, the Holy Spirit has already been poured out on the day of Pentecost. That is why Peter said this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that your sons and your daughters we begin to, pro it's already poured out. We're not waiting for it to happen. We should anticipate it already happening in our churches. Did you hear me? We don't have to wait for a coming move of the Holy Ghost. Now, is there going to be spots in the world where people are more hungry for it than others? Yes. Of course. But we don't have to wait for the Spirit to come. That means, guess what? I'm getting real, real, real excited up here. Guess what? That means Christ Point Church in Galena can have one of the greatest spiritual awakenings and a revival ever known to this region, all because the Spirit's already poured out and there's a bunch of people here on 1507th Street that has a desire for the power and the presence of Almighty God. We don't have to wait for it. We are running from it. It's already occurred. Somebody say amen. And I'm telling you that God wants to do more in your life and through your life than you could ever imagine. Hallelujah. Did y'all hear what I said? I said, did you hear what I said this morning? We don't have to wait for it. It can happen right here. Did y'all just help me out here? Lord. 
and debated not to preach about the resurrection because I thought you would be bored this morning. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, it ain't about them being bored. It's about you being obedient. And you get up there and preach it that I'm alive and that I'm a well. Come on, somebody. So when I went over to Israel, there was this Jewish theologian sitting there, and we were all uh, in a room talking to a Jewish theologian who is not a Christian, does not believe in Christianity, but is very educated. So we're all asking them questions. Why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And she gives all these reasons why, blah, 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 blah. So I had to ask a question. So I raised my hand and said, so I'm just, I'm very intrigued by this. So if you could just enlighten me, this would be really helpful for me. I said, what, what, what's going through your mind that, uh, um, um, that 2,000, uh, that, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus claims to be, he claimed to be raised from the dead, and these followers have went throughout the world, and now there's, you know, two billion of us that believe that he's resurrected, and, and so, and now in Jerusalem, you have millions upon bi millions and millions coming to flock to your area to see a dead man's tomb. What, what, do you, what do you say about that? Well, she said, well, first of all, we really appreciate the Christians because it really helps our economy. I said, well, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. And she says, I don't really know what she says. I don't know. She says, I don't know. It's kind of, she says, it's kind of mystical. She says, I don't know. I really don't have the answer. You know, I just, I don't know. They don't know where his body's at. I said, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody better say amen. They haven't found his body yet. It's been 2,000 years and they haven't found his body because he's still alive and well. And there are some Christians, you come to church acting all depressed, you look like Jesus is still dead. He ain't dead, folks. He's alive and well and they haven't found his body nor are they ever going to find his body. So I said, thank you, ma'am. I'm going to sit down here and eat my ding-dong and drink my Diet Coke. You finish your discussion because that's all it takes. He haven't found his body yet. Hallelujah. I didn't mean to get all crazy up in here and break a sweat. I wanted to really be a Methodist preacher this morning and be dignified. But once in a while, it gets on me and I got to shout a little bit and I got to proclaim it a little bit. Can somebody say amen this morning? Can somebody lift your hands and thank God that he's alive and thank God that he's a well and because he lives, I can live tomorrow. I can live the next day. I don't care what you're going through. He lives so you can live too. I think what needs to happen, we need to get back preaching the Bible again. You go to these churches and it's about seven steps to a healthy new you. Can I just break it down here? Can I break it down here? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny me. It's not seven steps to a healthy new you. It's seven steps how to kill yourself. How to crucify yourself. And I'm talking spiritually. How to kill that flesh. It's not a seven steps to a new you. People say, this is my year. My year. I heard that for 30 years in church. My year. 
it ain't your year until you get the unforgiveness out of your heart. It ain't your year until you start following the scriptures. When we start aligning our life up with the scriptures, every year becomes our year. Can I hear an amen? Some of us really want the move of God, but we're not going to get no move of God unless we align our life with the word of God.